great. We'll go ahead and get started. I know we have two guests and we have a ton of stuff to talk about in regards to offsetting our carbon footprint. Um, so welcome, everybody. We are at NFTs for Good. So we are weekly Twitter spaces that is all about highlighting the builders and founders in the NFT and Web3 space. We do this at least once every week. And you can check out our schedule on our website at www.bluestudios.io backslash NFTs dash for dash good. And, you know, we know there are a lot of tons of stories that always come out about some of the negative aspects of Web3, crypto, and NFTs. But here at NFTs for Good, we believe if we just keep talking about the positive aspects of the space and how the people behind these projects are really trying to make the world a better place through crypto, Web3, and NFTs, that we can really elevate the conversation. So with this show and subsequent shows that we do, we'll continue to highlight the people and founders that also include a social good component in what they're building. And we hope that two things can come away from this conversation. Um, number one, we hope you get to connect with another founder and hear their courageous journey of going from idea to building in public. And also that you'll be inspired by their stories and know that there are some really, really good people out here building this new internet. Again, you can check out our upcoming shows and sign up for updates at www.bluestudios.io backslash NFTs for good. Quick disclaimer, all opinions of the guests or hosts may not reflect the views of Blue Studios or its hosts. This Twitter space is for informational purposes only. None of the opinions by the show of the show by the hosts or panelists can be considered investment advice. Please do your own research, be safe, and make sure you talk to any security and investment advisors for more information on how NFTs and crypto fit into your collectible and ownership portfolio. This show is also being recorded so we can have it on our website and other places to promote future shows. Quick intro about me, then we'll go to Justin, and then we'll do a quick intro of our guests, and then we'll jump into the conversation. But me, I'm Kelly, founder of Blue Studios. We build a community around education, family, and Web3. We employ a learn-to-earn, play-to-earn model, leveraging our adorable robot, Bella, who is like our Mickey Mouse. I see some of our communities in here today. And, you know, a big part of our project is really coming around innovative approaches to educating and inspiring families to learn and earn together, um, but also to onboard more families in a safe way to Web3. Super happy to be here today. And a big reason why I love doing the show is number one, I get a chance to work with our good friend looks legit, aka Justin. But more importantly, we also really love highlighting the stories behind the Web3 and NFT and crypto movement. Web3 is super fast paced. It's like 24-7, 365. Um, it requires you to work fast and hard than ever before. But sometimes it's nice to slow things down and dig deep with amazing guests like we have here today. And with that, I will pass it over to Justin to introduce himself. Thank you, Kelly. My intro won't be as eloquent as yours, but um, I'm Justin, looks legit. I've been in the NFT space now, coming up on a year soon, uh, here in July. Originally came in as a flipper and Deegan, chasing the transactional aspect of this uh, space, 
Uh, soon I started offering uh, marketing services. That's my background. I own a marketing company. So uh, over the past year, I've helped various projects um, with marketing on all levels, whether it's just handling their Twitter forum, helping them with their roadmaps, advising them on how to build communities, uh, started hosting spaces and decided that's kind of my favorite thing to do in this space is to be on stage, talking with people, meeting people. Uh, linked up with Kelly for NFTs for Good. I've been doing that now for a few months, and uh, I look forward to this every single week. So um, I appreciate our guests who are here, and Kelly for always finding such wonderful guests for us to speak with. So uh, should be a fun uh, next hour or so. So thanks for having me again. Thanks so much. And just really quickly, we have Dana and Elena, whoever wants to go first, just quickly introduce yourselves. Obviously, we'll get more into your backgrounds, but you know, say a quick intro. Uh, sure. Hi, this is Dana. I'm a co-founder and CEO of Flow Carbon, which is actually more of a carbon uh, and climate company, but we are leveraging blockchain technology. And so definitely also a crypto company. Um, my Briefly, my background is that I'm actually a lawyer, um, worked in the law for a bit, then had a software company, um, which was acquired in 2020, and now really having a great time working on Flow Carbon, which has been a journey of about almost two years at this point. Awesome. Thank you, Kelly. And also, Justin, and nice to meet you, Dana. So I'm Lana. I am an entrepreneur. It's been seven years. My uh, background is uh, in finance and uh, also software design. So my previous startup is uh, called World Tech Makers. And we did uh, coding boot camps for almost six years, training people with IT skills. And that's where I became a designer. Um, and with ePioneers, what we're doing is enabling uh, the most biodiverse region in the whole world to bring its environmental credits on chain, and then, uh, of course, protect nature, unlock the power it brings, and enable the region to prosper more from its natural resources. So a pleasure to be here, and yeah, excited about this conversation as well. Awesome. Thanks so much. So let's start from the beginning um, with your origin story. So how did both of you get started in the space and, you know, what inspired you to go from, hey, I'm fascinated about this space to I'm dedicated 24-7 to making this happen? Yeah, I guess I guess we'll go in, in order. Um, so my origin story, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm a lawyer. Um, I was working in the U.S. federal court system focused on uh, national security and technology cases. And that led to me starting my own software company in 2015 um, with actually one of my co-founders uh, from Flow as well. Her name is Caroline Klatt. She's our COO. So we started a software platform together, which was chatbot technology for enterprise retail. And we sold that to a private equity fund in 2020. Um, and we went to our acquirers as co-chief innovation officers, where we got to really think broadly about the power of new technology to solve longstanding market challenges. Um, and I personally have always been environmentally conscious, uh, which comes particularly from my dad, actually, who's had these values long before it was common or even widely understood. Um, 
I think when I was younger, we thought this was his quirk and sometimes found it pretty aggravating. Uh, he had a lot of rules um, about single-use plastic and recycling and waste in our house. But it does mean that, um, you know, these things, kids really absorb these things through osmosis. And so we grew up with that consciousness. Um, and so while I was at um, my acquirer, I had exposure to environmental philanthropy. And basically, that's philanthropy that's going towards large-scale conservation and other nature-based efforts, and was really uh, struck together with some of my other co-founders by the degree to which we rely on philanthropy capital to do these large-scale nature-based projects. And because we rely so heavily on philanthropy capital, we are not doing these at the rate and scale that we need to. So nature can, it, it, nature is by far our most scalable and cost-effective carbon sink. Um, and rather than preserving that, we are destroying nature at an astronomical rate. The, the famous stat is we destroy one soccer field worth of rainforest every six seconds. Um, and why? It's because the economic incentives to destroy and degrade nature are very powerful, right? That land is turned into um, agriculture, grazing pastures, lumber, timber, etc. And the only counterbalancing um, economic force is philanthropy capital, or so we thought. When we did a deep dive, it turned out that there actually was the carbon markets. The carbon offset markets were pretty tiny. In, in 2018, the voluntary carbon market or the carbon offset market was a $300 million market, which is really tiny. But the purpose of the market is to create an economic incentive to keep nature preserved and, and to restore it. And so looking at that market and identifying some key challenges in it became a sort of obsession of mine. And um, we basically identified some challenges, identified some key potential solutions that we saw using blockchain technology and decided to go for it. So we launched Flow Carbon, which is leveraging blockchain to fix some of the key inefficiencies and challenges in the carbon offset market with the real goal and intention of um, effectuating efficient revenue back to projects on the ground, um, specifically nature-based projects, not exclusively because you, there are other kinds of carbon reduction and removal projects in the voluntary market. And you know they're important also, but we are particularly focused on nature-based projects. Awesome. Thank you so much for that intro. Very interesting. I find that there are a lot of people who are lawyers um, who go into the crypto space. <laughs> Interestingly. Well, yeah, the law is not that fun. I don't know. <laughs> people, people who end up at corporate law firms um, are generally, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to generalize, not always, but generally not having the most fun. And so um, something like crypto or really almost anything else is more fun and especially crypto, which is, you know, way fun. Oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, Alana, I'd love to hear yeah, so I guess it's many things kind of coming together, but um, I'll have to go back to uh, 2014. So, so I was just out of college and uh, my first job was at a private equity firm uh, from Sweden. Uh, Sweden. And uh, at the time, climate tech was called uh, clean tech. And uh, so this was kind of my first experience with the field. 
And uh, there I met one of our advisors now. He actually was the one of the developers of the carbon markets like almost 20 years ago. And, um, you know, there are many reasons like this. So I kind of went back to, you know, um, kind of like finance because I was more on the analytical side. And then I started to do trading at some hedge funds. I'm originally from Colombia, which is um, the most biodiverse country in the world by square meter. And, um, you know, also I, my name in he, my family is uh, Jewish and my name means uh, tree in, in Hebrew. So the, the masculine. So Ilan is like the feminine. So I started to see all these kind of uh, coincidences. But one in particular was a trip I did uh, during the pandemia. So this is like back in 2000. Uh, 21, so last year, and uh, it was just like almost a year of pandemia. And um, in Colombia, what happens? I was back to Colombia because I was living, uh, re- I was working remotely, and I was living in Europe. And I moved back to Colombia during the pandemia. And my friend, who's a biologist, uh, she was organizing this field trip um, for people to help her out, uh, and also kind of like uh, learn how to dive and get the paddy license. And so um, I was like, yeah, what's going on? Like, of course, like during the pandemia, like I'm in, um, especially because uh, this is she organized it in the north of Colombia, which is the Tirona Park, which is a beautiful national park and also happens to be uh, the third most um, uh, biodiverse in terms of coral ecosystem. It's like a protected area called the seaflower biosphere. And so she was trying to get uh, people to come in and help her out because she was like unemployed. And so to me, this was like another kind of huge uh, incentive to go and, of course, help. But knowing Colombia is the most biodiverse country in the world, I was like, this is very strange that we have biologists that are having this situation. So that was like kind of one thing that kind of struck me. And then another uh, huge thing that happened during this trip was that she took us to this area where corals uh, were starting to bleach. And so coral bleaching happens when the temperature of the ocean uh, creates this phenomenon of algae having to leave the coral because the the temperature is too high. And so they start uh, bleaching. And of course, this has consequences, not just for people who live off, um, you know, fish or tourism, like, you know, uh, we do in Colombia, which is a huge, it's like a billionaire industry. But uh, a lot of times the people who live at the coasts uh, are not like, you know, these big industries. And so... To me, that was super shocking. And I had just watched maybe a couple of years ago uh, this beautiful documentary and also very uh, kind of dramatic, uh, but also very, very realistic about the situation in which we're in. Uh, call, uh, call, um, I think it's uh, called um, Finding Corals. I re- don't remember the, the exact name, but um, it was by this Australian guy who kind of recorded um, the degradation of coral reefs uh, throughout some areas of the world. And so when I saw this happening in my backyard, uh, to put it that way, I was like, oh my God, this is very terrible. Like we need to do something about it. And also knowing that people who are super smart and dedicated were in this situation where they couldn't do research or, you know, get like jobs that could uplift their situation, but also kind of protect the most uh, beautiful in terms of nature ecosystem. So this is kind of when it all starts. And initially, what we wanted to do was to kind of open up uh, the country because Colombia also ranks number one uh, in assassinations to environmentalists. So it's very it's a very complex situation because we have the most beautiful nature, but the people who go into this field have uh, you know are at the front lines of you know what's happening. And 
how uh, other incentives and other businesses um, incentivize for people to destroy the Amazon, destroy, uh, you know, ecosystems that are, are, are not going to be um, uh, replaceable because the, the whole DNA of the most biodiverse animals are here, or our flora are here, right? And so that was something very shocking. And so our thought was like, okay, we're going to create a new law in the country. We're going to leverage our connections, our experience and our vision and we're going to create the feral the first digital nomads law in the whole region and so our thought was like okay if we open up the country to internationals and digital nomads they'll be able to stay for you know over six months or you know like a year or two years and then we're going to kind of make them fall in love with our nature and our ecosystems and so they're going to want to protect and help you know kind of like bring awareness about this so this is when the pioneer starts. So uh, we started about that time and um, we actually created the digital nomads visa. So it took us, you know, a lot of um, meetings and visions and like talking to all these different politicians from all political parties. And that ended up happening. But the, behind, the, the main reason was, uh, OK, we need to create this international pressure for people to come. Um, and then that, that started to kind of mutate to, okay, now how can we not just like create uh, these new routes or these new kind of connections and bridges with the international community and people locally who are doing the groundwork and, and kind of facing this risk of being in the industry, right? Um, but also kind of like, how can we enable funding? Because we noticed that one of the biggest challenges was that um, there, there's a, a lot of complex situations happening, but one of them is indeed that there's a lack of development of the voluntary carbon markets, which are the ones that are in the Americas right now. Um, despite the fact that Latin America, for instance, has polluted less than uh, regions like, uh, you know, the U.S. or Europe, um, it hasn't benefited from, you know, receiving uh, what we think makes sense when you have ecosystems that are you know, beautiful and also need protection and also research and having biologists and, and people kind of have a good quality of life. Um, and this happens because there's an underdevelopment of, um, you know, the market itself and no regulation. And so we were like, okay, the, the system that can enable funding in a very transparent way um, and also kind of decentralized to allow anonymous funding because of the situation in Colombia and also here in Brazil. Now I'm living here in Brazil. Um, we were like, okay, blockchain makes a lot of sense. Um, and that's when we started developing um, crypto kind of based systems to enable the protection of, you know, this um, kind of like funding system, but also uh, anonymize it. And of course, like, make it more transparent and open and also digital and tradable. And so this was kind of the whole process and how we ended up like, you know, getting into crypto. My background in the past seven years has been like training people with like AI or web development and uh, data science. And so um, I had this kind of very technical team and also um, experience like, you know, I became a software designer and all of this. So um, to me, it was like a, a transition that made sense. But, you know, taking it from vision to product and also in this context where a lot of people don't necessarily understand carbon markets and maybe the ones who do um, don't necessarily want to open the market and develop it in a transparent way and more inclusive way, uh, despite knowing what's happening here, um, was like another huge challenge that we're also facing. But this is kind of the whole story of how 
uh, I ended up like, you know, uh, leaving, I, I quit my ad tech startup and I kind of like moved full time to this and this is since last year. And uh, yeah, like we're right now we're super kind of aligned and our team is focused on, on the next steps, but that's kind of the, the background story. Awesome. Yeah. I love the, I love um, the context you gave around just like what's happening, um, you know, near the Amazon. And I, I had no idea that um, environmentalists had, um, have, are like the number one in assassinations. That's, that's pretty scary. So um, thank you for the work that you do in order to help reverse um, in midst, uh, reverse all the damage we're doing in midst of, um, you know, the, the climate, the political climate that you're kind of working in. So that's definitely tough. So really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to just take a step back and, you know, I've been, you know, up to this interview, I've been trying to educate myself as much about um, carbon um, credits and the voluntary carbon market. So um, for those who are listening, um, this is the definition I found about the voluntary carbon market. It's basically a decentralized market where private actors voluntarily buy and sell carbon credits that represent certified removals or reductions of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So um, before, just to like help the audience out and possibly just explain it in the terms that a, like maybe a third or fourth grader can understand, you know, what is what exactly is a carbon credit and, you know, how does it help offset our carbon footprint? Yeah, I can answer that. So... Essentially, you have projects that are happening all over the globe. E an easy example is a nature-based project, but it's a project whose primary purpose or a primary purpose of which is to remove carbon from the atmosphere or to keep carbon that's already sequestered staying sequestered. So conservation, for example, trees and root systems store a tremendous amount of carbon and when trees are cut down, it releases carbon into the atmosphere. And so when you do conservation, you are preventing that, uh, when you're doing conservation of at-risk land, let's say, right? Risk, a land that is um, imminently at risk of being cut down, then you are preventing that carbon from being emitted into the atmosphere. Similarly, if you're tree planting, you're creating new trees and those are carbon sinks. Um, and so, project developers will do a project that has a carbon impact like that. They will, let's say, buy a land asset and secure it and then employ rangers to watch it um, and maybe employ local people to plant new um, new trees on, this, on the land asset and do some restoration and better management of the forest. They can then have the project certified. Well, actually, take a step back, they have to have the, the, the carbon impact measured. So there's a whole cottage industry of professional services um, called carbon developers. They come on site and they, um, they will actually measure the carbon impact of the project. The project has to be um, submitted. So it's the carbon impact of the project where the, the measurements about the carbon impact of the project and also proof that if the project, that, that if there were no carbon credits coming into this project, the project couldn't get done, meaning this financing is necessary for, for the project happening. Um, that'll get submitted to a certification body. And there's uh, four primary ones that dominate the market. They're called Vera, Gold Standard, Climate Action Reserve, and American Carbon Registry. There are some other ones, though, as well. Um, and they 
the project is also then there are verification bodies that work with this with these standards to again assess the project, go through all of the evidence, and then the project gets certified and the project get gets issued carbon credits in the amount of the carbon impact. And these issuances happen yearly. And so every year the project developer ends up with basically a balance of carbon credits in their registry account. Um, so the same standard that it, like the four that I mentioned before, for example, there, the project would have an account at those standards and that account would all of a sudden have carbon credits in it. And those carbon credits can be sold as offsets to buyers. Um, and they are a one for one representation of a metric ton of carbon. So if the carbon, if the project, if the rainforest conservation project is going to um, sequester a million tons of carbon every single year, then that project developer ends up with a million carbon credits issued to it every single year. And it could sell those million credits to corporations or individuals who want to buy them and then retire them. So each one has like a little button next to it you could think of that says retire. And when you, uh, you buy the credit and then you retire it. And when you retire it, you have the right to claim the offset. So that's, that's definitely really interesting. So should we also think about like carbon credits? It's like almost like tax credits, like for like, you know, you have in a more traditional developer sense, a developer might get a tax credit for doing a specific project or, or building a certain building for a certain community. And um, they're able to get those um, tax credits. So is that kind of like a similar, um, like a comparison? Sort of. This is Sort of, it's not, a, it's not, it doesn't confer any tax benefit. It's really more yeah. like a digital, it's a digital asset. It's kind of like, think of an NFT. It's, it's not an NFT, but it's a digital asset that somebody is buying. Um, so it's a digital asset that um, really the global community got together and created this digital asset called a carbon credit and then created mechanism and mechanisms and institutions for granting them to projects as a basically a, a superficial revenue stream. Like there's no revenue or very minimal revenue that comes from a standing forest. So what's the economic incentive for buying it and keeping it preserved? This basically superficial revenue stream that was created, granted to the project developer as a digital asset that they can sell. Um, so it's, in some ways, it's similar to a tax credit, but really it's more, I, I think of it more like a digital product that is granted to, um, to these projects as an asset that they can sell as a revenue stream so that they have the capex they need to do the project. That makes total sense. So, and for Flow Carbon, uh, Dina, so you basically allow those project developers to access this marketplace of buyers. Um, so could you give some examples of like, you know, what, what are some of the types of projects that you've seen um, who are coming in, who basically um, have those uh, carbon credits? And then who, can you kind of explain like some of the types of buyers that would exist, like examples, whether it's a corporation or the types of individuals that would be interested in buying those credits? Sure. So the market is, is growing in a very big way, mostly because you have thousands of corporations that have made ESG commitments. And those ESG commitments include 
um, calculating their carbon emissions, scope one, scope two, often scope three. So they're, these corporations are calculating the amount of carbon and greenhouse gases that they're emitting in, within their operations. They're then undertaking reduction measures. So they're looking for, you know, greener energy sources and they're um, looking, looking to add efficiencies all over that reduce those carbon emissions. And then whatever residual emissions they have, which there's always going to be some for operating companies, right? You, you always need to emit carbon or for the most part. Um, yeah, I, I don't think there's any company that, that's not going to emit any carbon. And so for those residual, really hard to abate emissions, you can actually pay for carbon offsets. That's, that's where carbon offsets feature into corporate ESG strategies. And because ESG is becoming something that corporations are embracing in a very big way, the amount of offsets in the aggregate that, you know, corporate, the, the global corporate community uh, is going to need to buy is growing. And so what we are doing at Flow is as follows. To the, the market or the infrastructure for buying carbon offsets right now is very, very um, fractured and opaque. They are mostly bought and sold today, either through uh, brokers in like environmental commodities brokers and other kinds of intermediaries or on exchanges. But both of those ways of buying are very, very difficult. So, um, and so really the only uh, participants who are transacting in this way are uh, like brokers themselves and traders and large corporations. So for example, if you want to buy an offset right now, you, it, you basically, um, if you're a corporation, you need to buy your offsets. You're going through these intermediaries, which means you're, you know, getting in touch with a bunch of them, asking them what they have. Um, they're sending you back emails with rate sheets that say, like, I have this number of credits from this project and this number of credits from that that project. There's there's no sort of central repository of credits, so it's um, very fractured. And they'll just tell you a price, and you have no idea if it's a good price or not. And they'll also just like cite a project and you have no idea what that project is. You don't know any information about it. They'll, you know, they might send you marketing materials about the project, but you have to do uh, diligence and research to understand if that's if, like what, what it even is, right? If you're not an expert in this market, you have no idea what these things are. Um, and so you have to do research, you have to get educated, you have to find brokers or other intermediaries um, to buy from. You then need legal to help you review all of the corresponding documentation. There's no contract standardization. So you're, you know, reviewing legal contracts every time you want to buy something. Um, there's a lot of counterparty risk um, because these things, again, are done over the counter. And often it takes like four to six weeks to transact. And I know this because we do it all the time. This is the market as it exists right now. And we're active participants in the market. And so... Um, you have no price transparency. There's literally no ability to understand like what fair pricing is for credits coming from different projects. And so you see the same project different that like if that there are like a bunch of big nature-based projects where um, the, the credits are distributed among lots of different brokers who sell them at rapidly, like um, vastly different pricing because nobody knows. And so um, creating a tokenized, representation of these credits, number one, unlocks access in a really big way to everyone who isn't a really large corporation. Because large corporations have the legal resources, 
and they have teams that can navigate this very opaque, difficult market. But otherwise, the barriers to entry are too high and too expensive. And so um, for mid-market corporates, small businesses, individuals, they're not participating at all because they, for individuals, it's impossible to participate. And um, because you can't be a counterparty in some of these transactions and these other entities are not participating. A token by contrast, so, so what we're doing is we're aggregating these carbon credits in, in our own custody and then issuing basically like a digital twin of them that is a carbon credit and grouping them together where there's certain important similarities and saying, okay, here's a group or a bundle of carbon credits from projects that are similar. Here's why these are the kinds of projects that represent good offsets. And you can buy this fungible token on a DEX or an exchange, and everyone accesses it at the same price. So A, it gives access to these um, segments of the market that are currently totally locked out of the market. Again, individuals, small businesses, mid-market corporates. Um, so they now have the opportunity to participate at all. And um, even better, everyone's participating at the same pricing um, with transparent pricing, um, transacting is super easy. There's no, you know, purchase agreements that you need to sign that take four to six weeks to review. Instead, you're buying a token. So we've kind of taken care of all the difficult work behind the scenes and made the tokenized representation so that people can can access these credits. Um, so, yeah. No. <laughs> I can go on. I can talk about this all day. But I'll, yeah, I'll, no, I'll, let, Alana, I'll let Alana talk about her project. Yeah, I know. No, thanks for bringing that down. That does sound like a pain in the current <laughs> market. If you just want to buy a carbon credit, it sounds like a lot of red tape. So it's amazing how tokenizing it just like cuts through all of that. And I know Alana, similar, similarly, ePioneers also has a focus on bringing carbon offsets on chain and just democratizing access to climate portfolios um, and also focusing on nature restoration. So could you explain a little bit about like what exactly a climate portfolio is um, and also, you know, why um, specific your focus on you have such a specific focus on like nature restoration as well yeah of course so I'll start with the last um, question so nature um, as I was saying uh, here in the region has um, you know an amazing kind of variety uh, but also we're seeing the destruction of it at an incredibly fast pace um, so um, protecting you know kind of like our ecosystems or natural ecosystems was like almost like um uh, super visceral reaction, right? Um, also, um, nature-based solutions could absorb uh, about 30% of all carbon emissions uh, in the next decade. Um, and I think it's it's actually uh, more than that. And, you know, there are many new technologies being developed, but as of now, the best technologies uh, to absorb carbon in a very elegant way are trees. Um, and at the same time, we're kind of, uh, you know, destroying them at an incredibly fast pace. So it's, that's that's something that, um, you know, has this double kind of urgency, right? The potential to kind of make um, Earth um, kind of go back to its balance in terms of carbon, um, you know, reduction or removal, and also kind of like um, the fact that, you know, nature once lost cannot be replaced, right? In, in, in that aspect as of today. So, um, as, as e-pioneers, so um, we're doing um, more focus on the supply side. Why is that? Because 
as uh, Dana mentioned in a very kind of detailed explanation on how these markets work, it's very complex and it's very bureaucratic um, and it's very lengthy. So if you, for instance, are um, someone who you, you're, I don't know, like sitting on literally millions of dollars of potential carbon offsets and then you have to pay 30K or 100K and then you have to wait like two years to get uh, the accreditation going by, you know, these international standards that were thought many times by uh, people who haven't even been to the Amazon or our ecosystems um, and put all these rules and all these processes from a desktop or, you know, places where there's no real connection to what's happening on site. Um, what ended up happening was that they develop in a very kind of sophisticated way, in a way, but also um, bureaucratic way. And I think this is where technology plays a huge role and in particular, you know, tokens or things like this. Uh, but this has also created uh, the underdevelopment of the voluntary carbon markets. If you look at what's happening in Europe, um, we have almost a trillion dollars of, uh, you know, volume being traded um, per, per year. You know, in one year, it was like 300 percent growth. Uh, from 240 billion to almost uh, 800 billions. Um, there's like regulation and there's also kind of like a mandatory reduction of between two and three percent of all um, carbon being emitted by companies that have to kind of public um, their, you know, make public their, their emissions. So um, this process creates all these problems. And at the same time, we have the fact that uh, the ecosystems that will be the most affected and have less infrastructure to respond to climate um, weather or extreme weather are in the what's called the big south, right? So we are on a deadline in terms of destruction, but also um, the consequences of floods or, you know, like uh, unbalances in terms of destruction. So going back to kind of uh, the, the context of the question, um, what we're doing with uh, what we call uh, nature-based solutions is, yeah, like definitely putting our efforts in uh, funding projects that focus on um, projects that are like reforestation or, you know, protection of natural ecosystems like corals, uh, kind of gardening or uh, things like this that are kind of like making nature um, either be protected or kind of restore. And then uh, in terms of the general term of uh, climate portfolios, what we're focusing on are also uh, tech-based portfolios. So we have nature-based solutions, uh, we are, which are more on the na natural side, and then tech-based, which are more on like new technologies being applied to reduce or remove carbon from the atmosphere. Um, and so uh, these are the ones we call, in a more general way, climate portfolio. So this goes from solar energy um, to, you know, biochar to regenerative agriculture and um, more like broad uh, in that sense. Um, and of course, like, you know, uh, air carbon ca uh, capture, so more like um, sophisticated systems. But um, this is like what it means. And yeah, we're, we're in a way, um, it's, it's similar. It's not the same, but it, it's similar. Uh, we're uh, bringing um, carbon offsets and the representation uh, to a marketplace where people can not just access uh, these different projects, but also uh, trade, um, you know, the different credits uh, directly with investors. So this is how, how we're organizing. No, that's very good. That's very awesome that you're also really focusing on the supply side of this marketplace. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. Um, I wanted to ask you both of you, um, what chain or chains are you both using uh, for your solutions? And also just, why did you choose those chains? 
Oh, I'm happy to talk about this. So we're launching, we're, we're going to be multi-chain, but we're launching initially on the Celo blockchain. Celo is a carbon negative blockchain. It is um, a, it has a deep focus on two things. One is payments, especially making mobile payments really easy on chain in developing world economies. And second is promoting climate and, uh, and climate tech uh, pro- projects. And so they have a grant system called the Climate Collective that gives out grants to um, a lot of climate positive projects that are building on the Celo blockchain. And it's basically be- become a home for what's known as the refi community or the regenerative finance community, which is basically a community of Web3 projects committed to using block- blockchain tech and crypto to enhance um, you know, regenerative economic principles and um, equality and climate impact, uh, of which you know we we identify as one of them, and so uh, we're really thrilled to partner with Celo. The blockchain itself, the foundation, actually bought ten million dollars worth of our token as a green asset, a green treasury asset, um, an offset solution. They're going to offset again. They are carbon negative, so they're doing some offsetting. Um, so it's been a really really productive partnership with them in general, and it's it's a phenomenal community and it's a it's a great chain for climate projects specifically um but then we're going multi-chain we'll we'll launch on some of the other um and some of the other layer ones also awesome all right alana yeah so uh we are also multi-chain we launch next month um and our layer one is algorand so Algorand is this uh, relatively new blockchain out of, um, you know, MIT by uh, this guy who is actually one of the inventors of cryptography and like, uh, you know, concepts like zero knowledge proof and, um, you know, apply by many other blockchains. And um, so he came to kind of this uh, realization that he could uh, enable these systems of blockchains uh, to be more efficient and also secure and also kind of like inclusive. So that's kind of the famous trilemma. Because if you look at the transaction costs of other blockchains, it's not just more polluting in terms of energy, but also it's also very polluting in terms of, uh, sorry, it's very exclusive in terms of cost. Um, so, you know, $100 to just make one transaction um, is very, very expensive for most of the people in the world, right, besides some um, specific regions. So um, we kind of like uh, received a grant from them last year and uh, through an investor um, got connected to them. And then we realized that in order to build and bring higher security standards in terms of, you know, storage of value with cryptocurrencies as of today and also the liquidity markets that they represent, uh, we needed to find, um, you know, something that was focused on um, storage of the Bitcoin settlement system, meaning um, backing and bringing, you know, the assets, whether those are, you know, carbon portfolios or other types of environmental credits, um, backed by a very highly secure system and liquid as well. And so we were like, okay, it makes sense to also tap into, you know, a community that is enabling Bitcoin to keep the storage of value but also to align, you know, with uh, higher functionalities and more functionalities to this super liquid and also um, accepted uh, cryptocurrency, which is it, uh, Bitcoin. So that's when we join um, the Stacks uh, Accelerator program. And also uh, we were, and I had personally learned about this project before called City Coins. 
And, you know, with my background in education and also like bringing new laws into the country, I was super uh, passionate about this new project. And uh, we were like, wow, how can we align with them? And the city coins team and build you know for the decades to come um enabling more um you know of these types of assets uh into bitcoin settlement systems with you know um l1s that are you know very efficient and also um, less polluting and connect them um so that you know there's the highest kind of like efficiency but also impact and that's how we also kind of like we're super sure about, um, you know, aligning aligning with the Stacks uh, team and ecosystem. So this is like our, our two main uh, blockchains right now. And um, yeah, we're also uh, going on uh, multiple blockchains later on. But for now, we're doing this too. Awesome. So... I would love for um, both of you guys to talk a little bit about um, your carbon back tokens. Um, so Dana, I would love to hear more about goddess, the goddess nature token and, you know, why was it important for flow carbon to launch that token? Yeah. Um, our nature token is the first of what we think will be um, several bundle tokens. And in this bundle, so it's this is a fungible token that represents a claim on a bundle of tokens that represent individual carbon credits. So basically, we have partners who are project developers. Um, they will deposit their carbon credits with us and get one-to-one -one representations in tokenized form of their carbon credits. And then if their credits fit the criteria for one of our bundles, they can put them into the bundle and we mint fungible tokens that represent the bundle. And so for example, our first token, the nature token, uh, is any carbon credit certified by one of the major standards, again, I mentioned four earlier, um, that is from a nature-based methodology. So think conservation, reforestation, afforestation, and was issued in the last five years. Um, that is suitable for this first nature token. And um, those credits, again, are custodied with us. We issue one-to-one -one representations of every credit, and then they get bundled together. And the nature token, um, which is backed in, in the exact amount, so we'll, we'll mint the exact number of nature tokens as our tokens in the bundle. Um, so there's always a one-to-one -one correlation. One of our tokens represents one carbon credit. And when you retire one of our tokens, so our, our tokens can be retired for their offsetting claim on demand. And when you retire the token, it means it's um, permanently altered into a retired state and can't ever be used again. And it triggers a message to our team to retire an actual underlying carbon credit. Um, and we plan to introduce other bundles. For example, one might track um, what's called Corsia, eligible credits, that's regulation, global regulation um, imposed on the aviation industry. So there the criteria are set by global regulation. We are likely going to introduce a premium nature bundle that includes some more quality metrics like um, measurable co-benefits pursuant to certain certifications that are out there. Um, but for the nature token, we were really trying to find, um, to strike a balance between volume and quality. 
So limiting the acceptable credits to the last five years does go some of the way towards um, selecting for better quality credits because a lot of the methodologies have gotten better in the last five years. And so um, having newer credits generally is one proxy for um, that, that helps select for better quality. Nature-based methodologies are often better methodologies. They're also methodologies that corporations um, are gravitate towards in the market. Um, and of course, going with established standards. But there's there are other certifications that um, represent co-benefits to wildlife and um, local populations that we will likely require for um, subsequent bundles. So um, I'll just note that there there's an ongoing conversation in the voluntary market about quality, and it's one that we are very active in um, and look at very closely. And we are... Um, we, we, we think that the, the standards and a lot of new innovative projects are springing up to address the quality question, which is amazing and is a sign of a mature market where market forces are coming to bear and um, demanding um, credibility and correction for some of the earlier um, sort of loopholes that enabled less credible projects um, or projects where the carbon impact wasn't so clear to get certified and issue credits. So we, these efforts are great. Um, and, you know, we're watching the market closely to, um, to help contribute to that and to make sure that the tokens that, um, that we create track a lot of what's going on to up-level quality overall. Awesome. And then where did the, the goddess name come from? I think that's such a lovely name for a token. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I chose it together with my co-founder, Caroline. We, you know, we went through a bunch of potential names. Um, goddess seemed very um, earthy, right? There's always a, a sort of feminine connotation to the, the earth, Mother Earth. Um, but very empowering and um, very positive and optimistic. Um, it seemed some, it just like struck a chord with the two of us and um, we, we liked it. There's really no other explanation for <laughs> why, we why we chose goddess. Um, That's a good enough explanation. <laughs> yeah, okay, thanks. <laughs> and then Alana, you also have your token that you're launching, Selva. Um, would love to um, talk a little bit more about the deeper meaning behind that token's name as well and, and how that token's going to work. Yeah, that, I love the name of, of your token to uh, flow carbon. Selva means uh, jungle. Yeah, it's, uh, it's jungle for in Portuguese and in Spanish. And uh, yeah, it's also a feminine name. I think uh, nature, you know, I feel like nature is very nurturing. It's, it's like a feminine figure. Um, so I love, I love, um, you know, this aspect of our token. Um, and, you know, the name, the, the behind the name, I mean, yeah, it's, um, I think it's honoring the, this region where um, we have amazing um, ecosystems and there are a lot of histories about uh, what happens in the deep Amazon or, you know, like, um, by Native American communities, what uh, Mother Nature or you know the uh, the jungle means, right? So it's a very kind of um, um, kind of way to honor um, not just these beliefs and and kind of like the way of life of many people in the region, uh, but also you know nature as as this feminine nurturing and giving 
um, kind of like um, mother, to put it that way. So, um, yeah, it had to be a feminine name. Um, and uh, in terms of how it works, so right now we're focusing on um, nature-based. Um, we have in our team uh, one of the persons who develop uh, the green emissions uh, framework internationally. So he, he won a Nobel Prize for that. His name is Dr. Uh, Sebastian Raoult. And um, he is uh, helping us to also innovate in the methodologies and frameworks uh, aspect because we noticed that although carbon is a huge aspect of, of this, there are other ecosystems that are not necessarily being taken into consideration in those market dynamics. So, for instance, if you look at other areas like biodiversity, there's a lot to do around uh, bringing the awareness about what certain, for instance, um, uh, uh, fauna do uh, in the in the whole ecosystem and everything systemic and connected interconnected right so uh, the impact of losing a jaguar for instance here which is also a species under extension and it's an umbrella species meaning that if we lose the jaguar we lose other um, animals that are super important under uh, the jaguars kind of like uh, hierarchy right so uh, we're also innovating in in in, in the biodiversity framework uh, field and so we're uh, also going to be um, launching, you know, new uh, kind of frameworks uh, very soon. Um, and um, what uh, Selva does right now is represent uh, carbon uh, ton being removed from uh, the atmosphere or, um, you know, kind of like enabling reforestation to eventually uh, remove this in the future um, so that also can it can be traded and funded before um the, the project grows or the trees grow, for instance. So this is uh, one aspect. And we also have um, not just the tropical forests, um, kind of like trees, but also uh, blue carbon. So Colombia, for instance, is uh, known for having you know, the Pacific, the Caribbean, also the Atlantic. So it's very uh, kind of rich in terms of exposure to water. Um, and, you know, only on the north, we have the bio, uh, the CIFAR biosphere, but um, there's one of the biggest projects under development for blue carbon as well. And we know the ocean absorbs way more um, than tropical forests in terms of carbon. And so we're also making Selva um, kind of like uh, represent blue carbon. But um, yeah, that's kind of the, the meaning and then how it works. Very cool. Very cool. Um, I also want to just give everybody a heads up, um, start thinking about any questions that you want to ask our speakers, our guests. Um, so I'll let you guys start thinking about some of the questions that you have. And if you do, just come up and request to speak and then we'll we'll get you um, on the stage to ask these amazing founders um, questions. So they're here now. Uh, make sure uh, you don't miss out on this opportunity to learn as much as you can about um, all the things that they're building. So I'm just going to say that. Oh, I got Antonio up. <laughs> Let me add him. All right. You can go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Thanks, Kelly. Uh And Eliana and Dana, thanks for doing this and looks legit. Always excited to be here. I was just thinking that um, it's not often you get an opportunity every week to talk to project founders in this capacity and to be able to learn so much um, and, and as opposed to hearing um, a lot of the AMAs about um, general NFT projects 
So the fact that you all are doing this is great. So thanks for that, Kelly, and looks legit. And um, yeah, it sounds like it's a confluence of events and experiences that led you both, um, Dana and Eliana, to doing you all's uh, impactful ventures. And um, a lot of what you all said um, and is, is really resonated with me. Um, thinking back to my childhood, um, in our household, we had uh, reduce, reuse, recycle, <laughs> right? And um, we had the trash bin and we had the recycling bin. And from a young age, um, I was uh, taught along with, you know, my sibling and family um, about recycling efforts. And seeing that the Web3 space is getting um, two impactful ventures that is doing purposeful work is very encouraging. So kudos to you for doing that. And um, also thinking too, in addition to what's going on with crypto, um, it's been a bad rap for carbon emissions. So I, I, think, I think again, what you all are doing is just super positive for, for the industry. And um, I'm for one, uh, am appreciative of it. Um, but I do have a question. I think this can go for both of you all. Um, considering that you all have both transitioned from um, different career paths, being a founder and lawyer by trade, and Ariana with your background in design and education and doing some work in private equity, um, I was interested to know if there were any actionable or transferable lessons learned um, I know Web3 space moves pretty fast, and you all have dived in with you all's solutions to um, this, this, this problem that we have. Um, I, I was curious to know if you can provide or share any insight uh, regarding any lessons that you've learned um, from transitioning from one industry into Web3 and into, um, into the climate space and um, kind of share a little bit of knowledge with us on how that transition is going because um, I'm excited for what you all are about to do. Thanks for that. Really appreciate that. Um, and sounds like your childhood was fun. You guys got some really good lessons early on and it wasn't as popular back then. I'm not, I'm not making any assumptions about your age, but... <laughs> if you're an adult, you can. Um, you can. You know, this, was, <laughs> this wasn't that popular. And so I guess we both had parents who were fairly forward thinking. In my case, it wasn't my parents. My mom was super annoyed by it. It was just my dad. <laughs> but um, but anyway, yeah, it's I, I've really enjoyed um, having a sort of diverse career path that has led me into a couple different things from the law to um, a software company, um, then to a, a fairly big corporate environment where, you know, when my, my first company was acquired and now to, um, to the environmental slash climate slash crypto space, definitely a lot in there. I think a lot of it is just like sort of work skills that I take with me and that have evolved over time. I tend to answer emails right away because otherwise they get buried. Like I have a lot of habits that I've developed that I think are really helpful. Um, and I also think team building and team management skills have grown over time and have transferred really well. Um, I, I definitely, you hear this a lot from people who are lawyers, I think law school and 
even briefly practicing law or working in the law trains you to think a certain way um, in a, a sort of very critical way um, to use concise language, be very clear in communication, think critically, ask questions, um, you know, have a mind that sort of functions as like, like views things as contracts. <laughs> um, and I think that's been a helpful skill. And, you know, I've, I've leveraged that skill everywhere I've been. Um, and I encourage people, even if you don't go to law school, I encourage you to, you know, maybe read some really basic um, informational tools about contract law, um, just because it's a, a helpful way of framing things in the business world. Um, but otherwise, I kind of, I kind of really think that people's individual experiences and individual personalities are such that like um, everyone takes away unique things from their experiences, and there's no like I hate giving advice or prescriptive, um, even like recommendations because you know so many different things work. There's so many success looks like so many different things. Um, I've met so many founders who have such different approaches to things, but. Um, you know, are, are doing a great job. So I kind of think like, just enjoy it, whatever you're doing. If you're, if you're enjoying it, if you're passionate about what you're doing, um, then, you know, it's, it, it, it'll, it, there's lots of ways to do things, I guess. Um, and, and I'll add to that, um, that I think in terms of, um, you know, I guess Web3 and what's happening with innovation and technology um, is that we're being able to reach our higher potentials in terms of creativity and also participation. Um, now with, you know, like the internet and perhaps like access to mobile device or computer um, kind of like devices, um, there was this kind of concept of, okay, you know, now we have um, software eating the world, the world, which is kind of the famous kind of statement. And now with Web3, we have communities uh, being empowered and also people being empowered to uh, participate in, in markets and have kind of like IP rights to what they're creating and, and the data that they're putting out there in the internet. So this changes the whole system in terms of interactions and um, you being able to create, but also earn um, you know, um, the access and the IP rights to that. And of course, like, you know, participate uh, in a market uh, dynamic uh, for, for those creations. So I think this is super interesting. And then in terms of background, I think education. So I'm very passionate about this. I could talk about it for a lot of time. And I think technology in particular enables you to reinvent um, your kind of like, um, kind of have this growth mindset. And I think traditional education systems are not necessarily enabling human potential to kind of push and go to the next level or perhaps reach full potential. Uh, whereas, you know, um, when you have um, industries like Web3 that are being created right now, you kind of like have to bring different skill sets and apply them um, and kind of bring your full potential and not necessarily learn that from uh, traditional school systems or, you know, um, high school or traditional uh, kind of like um, processes that not, don't necessarily focus on that creativity aspect. So I think it's also a beautiful opportunity to kind of remain open and learn all the time and kind of like create and, and stay, um, you know, super um, kind of engaged with uh, what you're learning and building at the same time. And I think 
Web3, because of its pace and also the early stage in which we're at, uh, enables you to, uh, regardless of your background in terms of what you're stu you study, you can al always um, kind of know that you can learn uh, every day and also reinvent yourself and bring new skills to, to who you are. So without kind of having your background defined in that sense. So it's also kind of an encouragement from um, not being scared of like, being stuck in what you did in college or things like this. I love that. I'm feeling inspired by you right now. <laughs> thank you. And thank you. I appreciate both your answers. Totally makes sense. Um, again, everything that you all are doing is absolutely awesome. Being able to offset the carbon footprint so even companies can meet like regulation standards. Um, that's great. And then Alana, um, everything that you're doing too. Both of you all are making it like um, everything more transparent and accessible. So thanks for that. Thank you so much for the question, Antonio. And Kilroy, come on up. Uh, good morning. Uh, good morning, Kelly, uh, Ilana, Dana, and uh, Justin, and uh, to the rest of the uh, our viewers. Uh, yeah, uh, I... I am more uh, in tuned or I am more connected with uh, Ilana's uh, advocacy uh, since uh, Web3 adoption curve is increasing. So does the carbon footprint for users involved in Web3 work. So uh, we have uh, already uh, tools available uh, to download at any time. And uh, to scale the Web3 work by using these tools to utilize less electricity and uh, also uh, it's, for me, I think it's, uh, it's a best approach if uh, to, to minimize the, the uh, carbon footprint uh, using gadgets like tablets or mobile phones for Web3 work instead of bulky PCs that consume more electricity. So uh, my my real question is uh, uh, for for the end user level. In order to su to uh, support your uh, advocacy for uh, lesser carbon uh, footprints, uh, is there an incentive program for supporting uh, your your uh, projects and uh, how to adapt by not just by using it but also earn from it? That's all. Thank you very much, ladies. Okay, great. Um, thank you for your question. So um, I, I, I agree. And also, I think it's important to mention that um, adoption of mobile systems in regions like Latin America is super high. Um, and so what, what we did was focus on a web based solution and also mobile based solution. So one application for end users um, who are uh, buyers, not just from the institutional side of ESG companies or private investors buying carbon as liquid um, assets, but more like citizens, because there's uh, there's a um, kind of like, um, I think urgency for, and maybe we don't see it now, but um, to democratize access to these types of investments um, and to, you know, bring climate action into everyday spending and ev or everyday life. And so we thought about how can we enable that with a mobile-based solution. And we came with uh, this uh, technology that we launched next month called, called Climate City Coins. And so 
Um, one uh, application is uh, we build these models that calculate the entire um, carbon footprint of a supply chain, whether that's transportation or, um, you know, another type of activity happening within a city. And so, you know, real time, um, what is the footprint of that city, let's say Miami or New York. Um, and then we give you that piece of information as a citizen or a person participating, you know, in, in engaging with your city. And then you can offset uh, the uh carbon uh, footprint that you're creating or your city is creating in real time. And we give you ways to directly offset that, whether that's purchasing Selva or uh, portfolios uh, that are part of our system. So this is one example, and it's done via um, a climate um, you know, wallet that we're uh, releasing next month. So that's one example. And also thinking that um, a lot of times, yeah, like um, we think, you know, it may be not the most tapped into um, market right now because, you know, ESG companies are making commitments of net zero goals by the billions. But a lot of times what happened was that these were the companies that created the problem in the first place. And we think that civic engagement and citizens are very important to be brought into this, um, you know, climate action aspect. And so we thought about this climate wallet this way. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, with regards to the to uh, to uh, supporting your advocacy, uh, uh, is there any uh, incentivized approach uh, with regards to your uh, uh, users? Um, yeah, maybe could you clarify what you mean with uh, incentivized approach? Like, do you mean like um, giving them like, um, or what do you mean? Um... Yeah. Uh, for example, uh, if if uh, if uh, I am uh, investing in your uh, uh, ecosystem uh, and uh, I use uh, like uh, less carbon footprint uh, gadgets, uh, is there any way that uh, that uh, uh, I can uh, send you the data about my usage and uh, in return uh, I get some sort of incentive? Yeah, well, I think right now, um, what the, the two main incentives that we're bringing is you being able to offset, you know, your carbon footprint um, and engage with the city, but also earn a yield from, you know, investing in these types of portfolios. Just to give you one example, and of course, we're talking about two different markets. So one is the carbon market in the, you know, voluntary kind of aspect, which is the one here in the region. But then if you look at what's happening in Europe, and I think eventually this is going to kind of come together, um, we have between three and five billion dollars being traded every day in carbon assets. Like we, we even have hedge funds that are being launched only focusing on carbon assets as their main kind of like investment strategy. So carbon is becoming more and more of this asset that is going to continue to be higher in value. And so if you invest in one of these portfolios, um, you're not just like enabling this offset to happen and funding these types of restoration projects, for instance, but you're also earning a yield from an asset that um, has a very big probability of continuing growing in value. So um, this is another incentive um, to participate in and, and also investing in these types of tokens. 
Thank you very much. And uh, I'm interested in this uh, nomad law that you mentioned earlier, and uh, I might be reading more into it. Thank you very much, uh, Elana. Thank you very much, uh, Dana and uh, Kelly and Justin. Thank you very much, guys. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for the question. All right. So I know we're a little bit over, so I have three more things before we leave. First, um, for everybody who's attending here today, Remember, you guys will get a $50 Unstoppable Domains credit for attending today. And after I ask the last two questions, I'll tell you guys exactly how you'll be able to get access to that. And so for Elena and Dana, just to wrap things up, one thing, is there any new alpha or something that's on your roadmap um, that you can tease today? So basically what's coming next for you that you can share with our audience and last, I always like to end with an ask. How can the audience support your mission and vision and what you're doing? Yeah, so I appreciate these questions. Um, I think the audience, really, I'm, I'm an evangelist for the voluntary carbon market. I think it's a very elegant financial solution for supporting projects particularly those that are preserving our natural carbon sinks, totally acknowledging that there's a lot of work that still needs to be done um, on certifying these projects, on ensuring uh, credibility, ensuring that they're really additional, which means that they really have a, a, a credible carbon impact. But nonetheless, we, um, we as a, a global society, we're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on decarbonization and yet have not managed to secure our natural carbon sinks. And so... I think the best way to support our work is to um, start spreading that message. Offsets sometimes um, get a, a bit of a negative rap because historically it was a very small market in which there were some sort of shenanigans that were allowed to proceed. And, there, and these, these issues are still being worked on. But I think that it's really important to recognize that the most cost-effective an immediately scalable solution to climate change that we have is in our natural ecosystems, not to mention the additional benefits to wildlife and biodiversity and water systems and local communities and indigenous communities that come from these projects. And so I, I would encourage everyone to share a really positive message about the voluntary carbon market slash the carbon offset market. Um, and I think that's the best that we can all do to support my work, support Flow Carbon. But really, you know, it's not about my work or Flow Carbon's work. It's about um, this work that we have to do together to prevent catastrophic climate change. So that would be that would be my request. Um, Alana. Yeah, thank you. And I think it's also um, kind of a pausing to kind of think about what decisions and what systems have got us here, right? And I think uh, part of what's happening right now, knowing that, you know, we have, um, like, I don't want to be dramatic, but <laughs> we are running out of time and we're seeing all these uh, ecosystems being destroyed. Um, and maybe we don't even imagine the consequences yet of what this means. Uh, but I think it's a global effort, like you mentioned. And um, having the approaches of, you know, okay, let's bring and like, let's build also from the bottom up, like talking about, you know, how architecture systems work, not meaning, you know, there's a hierarchy. Um, I think that uh, makes a lot of sense right now. And so my encouragement is also to think about ways to go beyond certain geographies and 
focus on you know areas or regions of the world where uh, the impact will be the greatest. Um, and there's not necessarily a lot of infrastructure around many things. So I think in particular, um, you know, talking for the work we're doing with the pioneers, we want to focus on the big south and, of course, connecting to, you know, ecosystems in Europe and also uh, the U.S. But having this perspective of people who live here, who are from here, who, who live this every day. Um, connected to, you know, more of like um, other types of perspectives that I think also add a lot of value, but um, also have their own uh, lenses. And so I think it's a global effort. You know, if we destroy, for instance, the lungs of the world or the Amazon, like we're all going to be affected. And then uh, the other note. So, um, yeah, we are going to launch next month. So we have the demo day on June 16th, and uh, we're looking for investors, we're looking for mentors, backers, and people who want to support us. So we're going to be launching in a few weeks. And um, yeah, super excited to not just uh, learn more about potential collaboration opportunities, but also anyone who wants to have one-on-ones with me and learn about what our vision is and where we're at, uh, super welcome to send me a, a private message or email me at I am uh, at epioneer.io. So yeah, and thank you for, for this space as well. Of course, thank you. And so for folks who are listening in um, for those unstoppable domain credits, um, after the show, just make sure to DM Blue Studios Labs. Um, so the little um, icon that has the little um, gear on it with the uh, ring around it, and it says Blue Studios Labs, just send a DM. And we will send you your unique uh, promo code so that you can get $50, um, $50 credit from Unstoppable Domains. Unstoppable Domains has been a great partner of Blue Studios, especially as we're building out our ecosystem and our family crypto wallet. So as always, we like to share the love and make sure, you know, everybody got something for their time here today. Um, so um, I wanted to pass it on to Justin, see if you had anything to say before we wrap up or any other questions. I didn't. I've uh, and I'm sorry I didn't ask you questions. You had such a great lineup of questions. I was looking at the sheet, and uh, there was a few on there that I was going to ask. But no, it was uh, really informative spaces. Thank you so much. Um, I really did didn't have any clue uh, how the carbon offsets works and with the tokens. So I learned a lot today, and I thank you. I think everybody here learned a lot. So um, very informative and. Uh, you guys, uh, I'm proud of both of you. Keep doing what you're doing. I think it's amazing. Um, that you're dedicating your lives to this. So uh, really great to hear your stories and um, just with us. Yeah, yes. thanks for having us. Of course, yes. Thank you for all the work that you're doing and thank you for what you're building. It definitely um, is something that I don't think we all think enough about. Um, and I love how you guys are, you know, democratizing it and bringing it bringing these markets to, you know, everyday people so that we all can participate in making sure that we're contributing to offsetting our comp our carbon footprint and just supporting, you know, and funding a lot of these project founders who are actually uh, doing the work to offset um, our carbon footprint, which is super important. And it's shameless plug. I actually, on Blue Studios, we do have a class called What is a Carbon Footprint for Kids? So definitely <laughs> check that out on the platform, shameless plug. Um, but thanks everybody for joining today. Um, we are a 
weekly Twitter face spaces, NFTs for good. We're all about highlighting the builders and founders in the crypto, NFT, and Web3 space. Again, we do this at least once every week. Um, definitely follow me or looks legit if you want to keep up to date on when the next show is. Or you can also check out the schedule on our website at bluestudios.io backslash NFT dash for dash good. I know we went over today, so thanks everybody for hanging in there, but it was such a good conversation. So that's always a good sign. Um, Want to shout out some folks. Thanks, Blockfather, Unstoppable Joss, Crypto Goods, Alfred Alfred, Nayla, Digital Vishal, Dilpreet. Um, I see all you guys are such great, um, you know, community members and thanks for showing up today. So thanks for everybody. And um, hopefully we can do this again sometime soon and, and keep the conversation going. Thank you and have a great night or morning wherever you are. <laughs>